you put equal weight on all the things that are happening around you, not just on what's happening on your farm. Welcome to the 250th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Sometimes nature provides rude and repeated reminders that maybe a different approach to farming is warranted on a particular piece of ground. For Mark Erickson, that eye-opener came several years ago when he was running a combine on a parcel of land he farms in west-central Minnesota. Suddenly, the machine lurched to one side and he was hopelessly stuck in the muck. Another time, he made hay on that same field, and before he could move the bales, they were drowned out and ruined by a torrential rainstorm. A little over a decade ago, Erickson took the hint and converted all of the 450 acres he farms into grass. Today, he raises grass-finished beef, utilizing managed rotational grazing. It's one thing to convert one's operation from annual row crops to perennial pastures, But what Mark has done is particularly striking, considering the ownership situation. It turns out he rents all of those acres from four different landlords. By experimenting on a smaller scale with a type of rotational grazing that moves cattle as frequently as once a day, the farmer was able to show the landowners that even though this is corn-soybean country, there were many economic, agronomic, and ecological benefits to having their acres growing grass year-round. On a blustery fall day, I visited Mark's Boss Ridge Ranch and saw firsthand some of the key benefits to this method of raising livestock. The cattle were thriving on the pastures, and Mark was no longer faced with the prospect of getting expensive equipment stuck after yet another intense rainstorm. And frankly, seeing all that green perennial vegetation was a welcome break after driving past endless stretches of fields that had been growing corn and soybeans during the growing season and would now lie bare and lifeless until the following spring. I visited Mark's operation as part of interviews I was doing for the West Central Minnesota We Are Water initiative, which is intended as a space for people of all ages and experiences to connect and learn through our shared connection to water. So it's fitting that the farmer ended up talking about how his conversion to a grass-based livestock production system has helped him strike a good working relationship with a resource that can either be a savior or a curse, depending on the health of the soil it falls on. To prove his point, Mark took me to that low-lying field that had entrapped his combine and soaked his hay crop. I watched while he moved his cattle herd into a lush stand of grass for a 24-hour period of what's called high-density mob grazing. By spreading their manure evenly across the landscape and allowing the grasses to develop deep root systems during the rotational rest periods, Mark's method of farming has increased the soil's organic carbon levels to the point where the fields can soak up and store even extreme amounts of precipitation. It has also created the kind of resilient soil biome that makes it possible to weather that other climate extreme, drought. In a sense, the story behind how this particular field was converted from a water management nightmare to a profitable user of this critical resource is a microcosm of how Mark takes a holistic view of making a living on land that is part of a larger watershed as well as a larger community. So I'm uh, Mark, Mark Erickson, and the operation that we... We've named our uh, ranch here the Boss Ridge Ranch, and we raise uh, grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I started conventionally farming here in 1994, doing conventional uh, corn, uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa. In the uh, mid to late uh, 2000s, 
grain prices were pretty poor, so we transitioned the farm to all grass, all beef in 2000, beginning in 2007, and by 2010 we were completely converted to all grass and all beef. We did uh, started a, a small intensive tiling project about 15 years ago and, uh, and decided that with grain prices where they were at that time that that wasn't going to pay. And so most of this farm does not have tile lines in it. And so it takes a while for the, for the grassland to develop a deep root system which will allow the water to all go down instead of pooling or running off. And uh, so, you know, that adjustment, going through that period, that's a, it's, it's a learning curve when you're, and so now we're, we're getting pretty comfortable with where, where the land is at and the, the water's not pooling anywhere anymore. And it's all, uh, even with heavy rains, it, it sits for a very short time. It, we don't have any drowned out spots on the farm at all anymore. And, uh, and, so the, and there's no runoff, so we're able to harvest all the water. And one thing I noticed, I did, a I did some uh, penetrometer testing uh, a few years ago uh, in, in cooperation with land stewardship. And we found that uh, we have some compaction at the top because we have very soil from the ca very heavy soil from the cattle. But as the penetrometer goes down, there's no resistance. And, uh, and if we go into the neighboring cropland, the, there's uh, no resistance the first nine dish, it inches, and that, then you hit a, a, a layer, uh, a hard layer. And, and I think the, the crops are able to really utilize smaller amounts of rain because they have great uh, corn and bean varieties, and, and also because that water doesn't go beyond that nine inch. It sits in that top nine inches and is available and plants can then use it up. And so even in drier years, they can get uh, great crops. And so, you know, that's just the kind of the difference in the way, the way it, the soil develops. When they were five years ago, we had dry spells. Uh, 2012 is a perfect example. The, the farmers got a good crop, but I didn't get a good crop of hay. And the reason was because the soil was not developed yet. And, and it is now. You have to have the, the organic matter built up in that, from the grass roots and so on, to get the, the proper soil structure so that it can hold the water. So what was happening in 2012, 13, 14, 15, is the water here would go down, but it would keep going. And the difference is now, when we've had the dry spells this year, the pastures haven't gone dormant because we have that mulch layer uh, to keep the soil cool and to prevent evaporation. And also because we have that soil structure that will hold the water so it doesn't keep going going down into the subsurface. And that was a big part of the learning curve that I did. 
that I didn't understand the first few years after we planted grass is you're, you're, if it's dry, your grass is going to go dormant because you don't have the mulch and you don't have the organic matter required to hold the water. Well, years ago, we used to uh, farm this, this whole quarter here, and this used to be cropland, and it's a peat bottom, so we could start up on the terrace uh, in high gear with the four-wheel drive tractor and the digger real shallow, and we could dig this bottom and get it opened up so it would dry out so we could plant it to, to corn and beans. And uh, the last year we had corn in it, uh, we got it dug that way in the spring, and then it got wet, and so we didn't get it sprayed very good because it was too wet. And then when it came to harvest time, j just out here where the fence is, uh, we were, I was combining the corn, and the combine is go, starts going sideways down the field, tipping the corn over. And that's when I, I decided that it's going to go into grass. And so then we planted it into reed canary grass to use as, a, as hay, which we did for a number of years. And um, then uh, a number of years ago, we harvested the hay, and I didn't get all the round bales picked up yet, and we had a huge rainstorm, and this bottom flooded, and my round bales sat in the water and soaked up the water, so they were, they were destroyed. I think we lost about 15 round bales. And we, had the, uh, we did some tiling on the other end of the quarter here, and we had the engineer come and uh, do a feasibility for tiling this, but there's not much fall to the ditch. So we would have had to put in a pretty good-sized tile to drain this. Um, and so we decided, I decided not to do that. And then we changed this over to uh, high-density grazing and uh, added different grasses in here and more legumes. And, of course, now when it rains hard, the water never sits here because we allow the grass to grow tall and... Uh, and the um, roots penetrate the soil well so that the infiltration of the water down, and then of course the grass is using up all the water as well. And so it's our, some of our most productive pasture land is this big peat bottom here. And uh, it, it's, it's worked so well that, uh, I mean, it, it makes sense to, no sense to do anything else with it. So the, this grazing that we're doing here is called ultra high density grazing or mob grazing. So in this particular case, we're moving about 150 um, animals, mother cows, calves, and yearlings, about a third of each of those, uh, into a 60 foot by 300 foot area that's 18,000 square feet which is about a third of an acre and that's why it's kind of important that they be moved they need to be moved every two days at the minimum but if you move them twice a day we're, like we're doing here it works by far better it's a little more labor but you get maximum cattle performance and maximum pasture performance by, by doing, spending the extra time. 
we're all basically here not for not for very long and and uh, you know there's there's many other people are going to have to share and use this land i like the alan savory system of holistic thinking where you can you put equal weight on on uh, what happens to the land and what happens to the people and what happens to the economy and and so the you put equal weight on all the things that are happening around you, not just on what's happening on your farm. As I mentioned earlier, Mark Erickson was interviewed as part of the We Are Water initiative, which documented the stories of several farmers in the upper reaches of the Minnesota River watershed who are using innovative production methods to not only protect our water, but to make their land more resilient in the face of challenges such as climate change. The webinar series that resulted is a partnership involving the University of Minnesota Morris Office of Sustainability, the Stevens County Soil and Water Conservation District, and Clean Up the River Environment in cooperation with the Land Stewardship Project and with support from the Southwest Regional Sustainable Development Partnership. For more on the We Are Water initiative, see landstewardshipproject.org and go to the podcast page for episode number 250. There, you'll find a link to the Sharing Stories webpage. That webpage includes links to webinar discussions involving Erickson, as well as other farmers who were interviewed for this series. For more on how Mark has built a relationship with his renters based on soil health, see Ear to the Ground episode number 222. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.